the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya. Please subscribe. We'd love to have you with us every single day that we drop an episode. Today, like every other, is important. Chris Clem spent 27 and a half years in federal law enforcement. He was a chief patrol agent, uh, supporting law enforcement, first responders, and veterans. U.S. Border Patrol out of Sam Houston State University. That's the that's the short version. He spent a life at the border, and he knows what's going on down there, and the chaos and the trends from the time that he started in the mid-90s to now. It's changed a lot. He's had a front row seat, and I think that needs to be listened to. I think we need to understand what the Border Patrol is going through, what they see, and he's got a lot of perspective on this. He knows there are criminals coming through. He also knows there are necessary workers coming through and families coming through. So he sees this from a lot of different angles, and we're going to get his position on it and talk about what can be done to, to, to stem the tide of chaos that just led to 38 people just south of the border dying in a fire at a migrant center because of a protest. This is hurting people on both sides of the border. We'll hear from Chief Chris Clem next. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. Chief Chris Clem, thank you so much for being part of the show today. What I like to start with is giving people a sense of who you really are outside of your profession. So, can you, what can you tell me about your upbringing that may have led you into law enforcement? Well, good morning, good afternoon uh, uh, to everybody and to you. And, and again, thank you so much for having me on here. You know, I, I, I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana. I am uh, youngest of five children. My parents moved us to Houston, Texas in the early 70s. I was a small child and, uh, and grew up in Houston, very diverse, uh, you know, a huge city. Uh, got to experience uh, so much growing up. Um, I really did not have, you know, a, a law enforcement desire when I first uh, started thinking about a career. I uh, no one in my family, at least in my immediate family, were military or law enforcement. To go back a few generations, to you get some some veterans, World War One and World War Two, and uh, Civil and uh, Revolutionary War. Uh, but I, I actually went off to college uh, attempting to play football. I went to Southwestern Louisiana. I had a walk on opportunity there. Um, and I walked off pretty quick because I realized I had, <laughs> I had bit off more than I could chew. I, I, uh, it was Division One. I, I went through the spring and, and tore up an ankle pretty bad, and 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 did what most uh, 
jocks did, um, got a job as a bouncer. I don't know if that was uh, kind of foreshadowing to a career in, in uh, security, but uh, I, I went there as a business student. I thought, you know, that's kind of a safe uh, degree opportunity. And, uh, well, when sports didn't work out and, uh, you know, things just kind of didn't go the way I wanted to, mom and dad said, look, if we're going to help you, you need to come home and get your grades right. Um, went to Sam Houston State University in Huntsville, Texas, and uh, was a criminal justice major. And I wanted to do more than just uh, police work. I thought there was more out there. Um, the remake of The Fugitive with, uh, with uh, uh, golly, I'm drawing a blank on his name. Is it uh, Harrison Ford? Yeah, yeah Harrison no. Ford, right? Yeah, Harrison Ford, yeah. So that, that was a big thing, right? He was a U.S. Marshal wearing a blazer, blue jeans, happy and handsome. <laughs> that, that was going to be me. I was going to be a U.S. Marshal. And uh, – I had I had structured my um, my degree plan to do an internship, and this is really a neat story. I had uh, I was going to do my last nine hours of college uh, with the Texas Alcohol and Beverage Commission. I was going to be deputized as a work in Victoria, Texas, and uh, and I had applied for the Border Patrol because when I was walking into my advisor's office, the staff assistant said, "Hey, we just got this flyer. Call this number. They're hiring." Okay, so me and my uh, my attorney brother and roommate, we, we called the number, applied online, series of events, interviews, all this kind of great stuff. Um, I'm, I'm going to do my internship, getting all set up. I get a FedEx, Federal Express uh, letter in my fraternity house. And this was just timing because I was living in a fraternity house and to get mail was very difficult. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so it doesn't always there. get distributed to the right people. Right, right. I, I'm, I'm sure I was studying. And um, and I opened up that and it said, you, you've been selected and you have to report to be in Laredo, you know, at the end of April. And I, I, I just got, oh, my gosh, this is great. But I'm nine hours short of a degree. I've still got finals next month. My parents are going to kill me. So and so I, I called the number and said, any way you can push me back till I can graduate. And and so um, they did. And I end up canceling my internship, going to my advisors, getting nine hours of summer school and like three and a half weeks to finish my degree and was shipped off to El Paso, Texas, then out to Glencoe, Georgia for the Border Patrol Academy. I did not know that much about what it was to be a Border Patrol agent. I was from New Orleans. I was from Houston. I was a city boy growing up and I spent almost my entire life in the desert. It's been amazing. I haven't looked back. It was a great career, 27 and a half years of, of just doing some amazing things, meeting amazing people, amazing opportunities um, challenges. Um, I think most of this is because of that, <laughs> uh, the stress that goes on with that, but, but I was given I, so I, many opportunities. Yeah. You know, when you said you didn't know what it was going to be like and you headed into the Academy, what was a day in the life like at, at the border patrol Academy? Well, I can tell you what, uh, it was, it was quite fun for me the first couple weeks. I can tell you my instructor, I was, because I had played football and when I got hurt, I got really big into powerlifting. And so I had to drop a lot of weight because I was not running. I mean, I, that just wasn't me. Um, typical day, and I'll tell you, for the first day, the instructor said, if you're not a runner, you better be a weightlifter. And if you're not a weightlifter, then you better be a runner. And if you can't be any one of those, just don't be last. And so I was like, okay, I can do the weightlifting. And so a typical day for, for me in, in the class I was in, class 280, 289th session, started in July of 1995. Um, we had physical techniques, PT, uh, working out in the morning from 730 to 9.30, went straight to firearms from 9.30 to 11.30, and then a, a one-hour lunch break, and then it was – 
the last four hours was either law was like two hours of law and then two hours of Spanish because they got you certified to speak Spanish. Now I grew up in Houston, I, uh, Texas public schools. We had to take a foreign language. I took two years of Spanish. So I knew some basic Spanish. I was in the middle tier of between the native speakers and the non-native speakers. Uh, and this went on for 19 and a half weeks. We learned to run. We learned to shoot. We learned to, to self-defense. We learned all the immigration, nationality, federal law. It was so law enforcement or excuse me, law intense um, mm-hmm. that fortunately having a criminal justice background helped me understand how to read law. A lot of people yeah. struggled that way. So I, I was imagine, able to yeah. focus. Yeah, I was able to focus on Spanish. So we come out certified to influent in, in, in conversational Spanish and we can certified in courts to speak Spanish. Um, it's it's definitely a perishable skill. So as you continue to speak it and learn it, you yeah. grow. And if you don't speak a lot, you kind of lose it. Um, you, yes. I can't talk about the Use weather. Use it or lose it. Yeah. No, right. No, that is absolutely true. What was your first assignment once you became part of the Border Patrol? Yeah. I was stationed in Lordsburg, New Mexico. And let me tell you, when I got that second FedEx that said that they reassigned me, I looked at uh, some of the young viewers wouldn't even know what a Rand McNally map was. So I scrambled to find a Rand McNally map, flipped through the pages and saw Lordsburg, New Mexico it was along Interstate 10. And it was in decent sized bold letters. So I was like, oh, it's got to be a decent sized town. Um, well, <laughs> yeah, that's how we judge places on those paper maps. Right, right. right. And it had it, said it had a big old lake called La Playa. So I'm like, this is a, that's Spanish for beach. There's a lake here. This is going to be great. I had never gone past, you know, uh, parts of just you know, west of San Antonio uh, in my life. So this was new to me. Um, I had more people in my high school when I graduated uh, in, in Houston than the entire county did in New Mexico that I was first stationed at. So that was that was quite a challenge. Uh, one blinking stoplight, no, no real stoplight. Uh, a couple. It was it was a great town, great people. We have lifelong friends to this day. Um, from the, from the time we spent there. In is the that a, is that a particular port of entry? No, it's just a border patrol uh, station. There's a port of entry about an hour and 15, 20 minutes south of there called Antelope Wells. Uh, it's a very desolate area. It is Most people that have ever heard of Lordsburg are folks that have traveled from the Tucson, Phoenix area. It's a good uh, gas stop between El Paso and Tucson. And okay. so, uh, uh, it's a, it, it is it is a border patrol station. I, I think it's an important for for you and all the viewers to kind of go uh, take it back a step. Is that there are twenty sectors in the United States uh, that uh, have border patrol border patrol sectors. Um, we are now part of Department of Homeland Security. Our parent agency is Customs and Border Protection, and then we are the U.S. Border Patrol. And within Customs and Border Protection, you have field operations which run the ports of entry. And then the okay. border patrol is between the ports of entry. And there are 20 sectors, nine on the southwest border. So you have the Rio Grande Valley sector, um, Laredo sector, Del Rio sector, Big Bend, which is in Marfa, Texas, El Paso sector, Tucson sector, Yuma, Arizona, El Centro, California, and San Diego, California sectors. Those are your southwest border sectors. And I was in Lordsburg, which was part of El Paso sector. It's crazy, New Mexico, but El Paso. Okay. It was it was great because, I mean, there was 20 of us, 20 of us for almost 200 miles of border. It was I, I was that really a lot. Listening. Oh, oh, my gosh, that's a lot. 20 Is people, it? 20 people to try to cover 200 miles. And you got 24 hour. You, know, you, you got to cover the, the border 24 hours a day. Um, it, it was it was 
so just eye-opening for me. Like I could not believe what I was doing. I was, I had a badge. I was in uniform. I was in the best shape of my life and I was enforcing our laws. I mean, it was really a, a truly sense of, of American pride. I had not gone the military route, but I, I was doing something to protect this gorgeous nation of ours, beautiful home, uh, homeland out there. Um, it was really incredible. And I, and I think about, about a year into that job or into this job, I was like, this is, this is what I want to do. And mm-hmm. wife, uh, I had gotten married, you know, met my wife in college and, and she, uh, I proposed while I was at the Academy and I took a one weekend after I'd gotten to the field, I took a weekend, flew back to Houston, got married. We drove back. I didn't have a honeymoon. We had four days to get married and move back. And, uh, and she's, we've been married for 27 years and, uh, she's oh, done this journey uh, with me. Yeah. Well, yeah, she, I mean, which, which, it should not go without some remarking here about that, about what a spouse goes through, because your law enforcement, yeah. you're leaving the house every day, whatever time you leave. And and she's sitting there going, please come home. You know, yeah. so I would imagine. I mean, right. Is that is that a fair assessment or is it is what you do safer than your average law enforcement? Well, I, I think that's a fair assessment for for any any spouse that, uh, that uh, of law enforcement, firefighter, first responder, military, because you don't know. You know, you, you kiss your wife and kids goodbye in the morning, uh, and and you hope it's going to be a good day. Um, I can tell you that what border patrol agents do versus what like domestic police force, city city police do, uh, completely different. Um, yeah. I would not. What what a, I would just, I'll just say it like what a city cop has to endure every day. I mean, it's nonstop calls, domestic yeah. violence, sexual assaults, burglary, shots fired, things like that. I mean, it is it is wearing on them. Um, they have a different a different uh, uh, response in the sense that there's a lot more of them in in a in a in, a, in an area where there may be like, like for the city of New York, there's like forty thousand police officers. Well. I have, and probably still not enough, by the yeah, way, and and right. not getting the support from their from their sure. official, city officials that they should be getting. Right, right. But the the point I was going to make is that there's a lot of backup, pretty close, right? So you you have more people going into a call. If you get into a situation, you're usually seconds to minutes away. In the border patrol, like I said, there was 20 of us covering seven days a week, 24 hours sh- a, a day, so eight hour, 10 hour shifts. Um, I may have backup an hour away. There were, uh, Michelle, this is, this is a hundred percent fact. There were times where backup would be an hour and a half to two hours away, depending on where we were. So the decisions we had to make, whether we were going to respond to a sensor immediately or wait to see if a vehicle was showing up, following something, working a trail where you're going to get out there and start tracking a group of 10 people when you're by yourself, if your backup was an hour away, these are decisions that Board trades have to face even to this day in some of our remote areas. And so those challenges are a lot different. And I will, I will say this too, because it goes back to what the spouses think is most of the time, we don't know who we are dealing with until we already have apprehended them, got them to a station and it done initial biographic information. So they could be in our custody for several hours before we find out this person was a a, a, a MS-13 gang member, known cop killer or a terrorist or just somebody looking for work where in the domestic policing that they generally know the residents, they have a call sheet, they know who's what to expect sometimes, not all the time. And I, and I don't want right. to discredit our, our, our men and women that do it uh, domestically in, in the cities and in the, in the counties, but we don't know who we're dealing with because they're coming from another country. Right, right. So that it's, just weighs on the spouses. 
I'm sure it does. And I'm sure it kind of weighs on you as well. Um, There has been so much that has happened. And as you said, you've spent 27 and a half years in this career. Over the course of that time, was there, have has it been sort of up and down and, you know, there have been surges and then back offs and then surges. Have there been turning points? Has it been just an, uh, a hockey stick increase? How would you describe what you've seen over the course of those decades in terms of the amount of activity that, you know, the Border Patrol has had to respond to? No, it's it's a great question, and it really kind of tells a a tale of what we're up against from from a national security and and border security perspective. Um, immigration and, and specifically illegal immigration has been cyclical uh, for decades. I mean, you can you can go back and you can see it was when the majority of the people we were encountering were adult Mexican males coming over here for basically doing agriculture and labor work. You knew when it was planting season because you had a rise in, in immigration. Um, and, and those people were generally, if they were not involved in any kind of, you know, uh, clandestine operations, smuggling thing, they were just coming to field workers. They would be arrested. They would be voluntarily returned back to Mexico and they try again another day. Um, that, and, and that was seasonal. And you could predict that. And you over the last decade, you'd hear some uh, some advocates talk about seasonal uh, trends. That's kind of how it was um, in the in the early uh, late 70s, early 80s, when we had a big amnesty because we didn't get rid of people. And then the way the laws changed in the 90s and, 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 and mid-90s, it was still based on a seasonal immigration flow. Over Then, then you know, tragedy struck the world, specifically the United States, on 9-11. And that's when people kind of focused on, hey, there is a, there is a bad size to immigration or illegal immigration. And, and uh, President Bush uh, began addressing it. Uh, we, we created the Homeland Security um, and, and then we started focusing on what's coming in at the borders because we realized that we have not strengthened the things that we should have uh, strengthened. It was probably in mid, the, about the beginning of uh, President Obama's second term, so 2012, when the big talk about comprehensive immigration reform. You want to secure the border first, and then we're going to get immigration reform. And in 2014, I was, I was assigned to Washington, D.C. I was an assistant chief or associate chief up there. And the, we just had a, a, a huge surge of unaccompanied children, minors. Uh, I mean, from months old to, to 17, they were just coming in illegally. And it, and it was just, it was crazy. So what, it was, do you, what, what, what was behind that? It was decades of people coming in and, not, and kind of being unchecked. We were not doing the things that we needed to do. And, and so they started trying to connect. It was, it was kind of like, let's get the kids here. Let's get them sponsored. Then right behind them came the family, like the moms and dads saying, hey, well, our kid is with a sponsor somewhere. We need to be let, uh, uh, let go. This all happened in 2014 and 15 was the first surge that we had seen and in, in, in really kind of go back 20, 30 years that was not tied to a seasonal immigration, agricultural trend. These were not people coming to pick, you know, uh, 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 you know, crops in the Southwest and then move into tobacco in the East. No, this was families coming in here to try to gain some kind of relief in a foothold in the United States. And it hasn't changed since it went in 14, 15, it was fam- ch- kids and families and they were mainly Mexico and Central Americans in 18 and 19. It was again, Central Americans, families, and then the single adults started showing up. And then over the last two years, it's been 
you name it. It's it, I was the chief in Yuma in fiscal year 2022. We had 116 different countries. Mexico and Central America didn't even make my top 10 most of the time. It was a world problem. Border Patrol apprehended I think, people from over 140 different countries last year. So this is no longer a seasonal agricultural. We need uh, labor workers. This is people coming in, trying to take advantage of a system. Um, there are some people that really need relief because they truly are suffering. And then there's a lot of them that are just trying to take advantage of, of what this great country offers. We'll get into that more after this quick break, because I think that increase is so marked. And I was looking at the numbers this morning, starting with fiscal year 2022. We know that in 2020, the world really shut down. And so the, the numbers decreased dramatically, but that that's easy to see why that was. There was a yeah. shutdown. We, we weren't allowing people to come into this country right. through most means. So, but starting in 2021 and 2022, we have seen astronomical rises in these confrontations. We're going to get into that right after this. So I don't like to look tired. Who does? You know, you want to look fresh and, and ready for the day. And Genucel helps you do that. So what is Genucel? They are my skincare company of choice. It's antioxidant-based skincare, and it's made right here in the USA, so I really do trust it. Uh, it's formulated by a pharmacist with quality ingredients, and their products are sure to smooth out fine lines and wrinkles and at the same time prevent more from forming. This is why I love it so. And one of my favorites is the Deep Firming Serum with Stem Cell Technology. First of all, I cleanse my face with the Deep Sea Cleanser, which is soap-free. I got to tell you, the first time I use this and every time since, my skin just feels fresh and clean and not have, it doesn't feel like it has that coat of film on it that you get with soap. Well, because this is soap-free. Again, that's the Deep Sea Cleanser. Then the Deep Firming Serum with Stem Cell Technology just plumps up and firms your skin. And right now you can save over 70% off Genucel's most popular package just in time for the warm spring weather that's on the way. It features Genucel's Ultra Retinol that contains a powerful retinol alternative. It's safe on your skin in the summer sun. And Genucel's Dark Spot Corrector to reduce the appearance of dark marks and sunspots from those long summer days that we love to spend outside. Plus, you'll still get Genucel's classic under-eye bags therapy for those annoying under-eye bags and puffiness. Can't stand those. That's why I love their products. It helps get rid of that puffy. And with its immediate effects, see results in as little as 12 hours guaranteed or your money back. What have you got to lose? Don't wait. Visit Genucel.com slash Michelle to save over 70% off their most popular package. Plus, every order subscription includes a luxury gift box with two free springtime essentials. That's two free gifts plus free concierge shipping for a limited time. So go to Genucel.com slash Michelle. That is G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash Michelle with one L. M-I-C-H-E-L-E. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now 
800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right, Chief Clem. So we had COVID. Everything really slowed down. The whole world really came to a stop. At what point? So, look, we have the 2020 election. We know that the previous president, Donald Trump, was big into the border. He wanted a wall. He wanted more resources to protect the southern border. I'm not quite sure if anything really changed at the northern border, but now even the northern border is looking sketchy. How would you describe a moment of change between the time that Trump left office and Joe Biden came in? Well, that, that, it, that was something uh, that uh, is, is going to take a few minutes to describe, but it, I'll, I'll just say it was controlled chaos uh, from from the beginning of, of when he started doing executive orders to stop some things that were already in place. We have to go back, and I think it's very important to recognize that starting with President Clinton, you go back to the 1994 uh, crime bill where he put 5,000 police officers in, uh, on the streets. That included Border Patrol agents. I was hired under that 1994 uh, crime bill. You go back to uh, uh, the late Representative Barbara Jordan, who was speaking on immigration reform and talked about the balance that we needed about securing our border and then finding better ways to lawfully immigrate those that need to come into the country. So you had a bipartisan effort in 1994 and 1995. Again, after 9-11 under President Bush, we really pushed to securing our borders. Obama was trying to get, hey, let's do a little balance. Let's keep securing the border. Let's get the border under control, but let's find a way to help people in. President Trump came in, especially as he was candidate Trump, marketing, securing that border, building that wall. I mean, we've all heard the the phrase, look, I'm all for walls where they make sense. It it is proven. It is proven wherever you have infrastructure in the form of of, uh, whether it's a wall or roads or access to secure our border, it works. We had built, you know, a great plan that it was experts. It wasn't politicians. It wasn't Washington bureaucrats design. It was border patrol agents. It was chiefs like me and, and gr- real agents on the ground doing say, Hey, this is what we need that built this, this uh, uh, plan in place. And while, while some of the policies under president Trump were, I, I'd like to describe them as clunky, but they were effective. Like they could have been cause they were done so quickly to basically, you know, stop a leaking dam. Um, and then under President Biden, it was just, you know, it, it was just basically done away with a few executive orders. No more wall. Um, you know, everything was going to be revisited. They reversed some policies and it went from <clears throat> I'll just give you some numbers and I'll let the viewers and listeners tell you tell the story in their own minds. In October of 2021, um, oh, 2020, excuse me, uh, Yuma was apprehending 25 people a day. That's, you know, we had 8,800 arrests in fiscal year 20. October of 2020, 25 arrests a day. November, it went up to 34 a day. In December, it was 54 a day. In January, it was in the upper 70s. By, by May, so fast forward, after President Biden has taken over, he's done, we were at 500 a day. We averaged over 1,000 a day. We went from 8,800 arrests in 2020 to 114,000 arrests in 2021, to over 310,000 arrests in fiscal year 22, 
in one sector in Yuma, Arizona. So you tell me what changed. It was basically executive orders that said, we're not going to do this. And we, the transition teams, every administration, there's a change. There's a transition team and everything policy to include border security. And, we, and, and there were warnings. Look, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. Give us some time. Let's work through this thing. And it, and it just didn't, it didn't happen. They, they fell on deaf ears. And look, it took 18 months. It took 18 months for me as a sitting chief, the national chief, Senator Kelly from uh, Arizona, Ambassador Ken Salazar, uh, the first ambassador under President Biden to Mexico, to convince the department and the White House to to build like a thousand foot of wall over the, in Yuma to protect lives. I mean, this why did it take that long? Because of politics. I mean, we're talking about saving lives, water and people trying to cross legally do not mix. And we had an area where there was a gap at the Morales Dam where people were coming in. It was putting our agents at risk. It was putting the migrants at risk. It was putting the community at risk because that's their big agriculture fields there. And it needed to be done. I mean, literally 150 yards from where they stopped constructing is a marshland area where piles and piles of steel were stacked up just to close that thousand foot gap. It took 18 months to get them to agree to do it. And it's still finally being completed now. I mean, they didn't start it's construction. Still, it's still under in progress now. Yeah, it's crazy, right? And we already, this, this was, this, look, I, I have said this uh, before, and it's kind of been a little catchphrase of mine lately, is we should be a country of tall fences and wide gates. Tall fences to secure our border. National security should not be a, 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 a partisan issue. It should be um, in every American's best interest. Because without it, every border town, every town in the country becomes a border town. And the wide gates are the ports of entry. Let people that are entitled to come over here or need to come over here go through the right process, do it the lawful way. Because nowhere, nowhere else in this world or in this country can you just get in front of the line just because you said so. And and and, and that's very frustrating. It's very frustrating on the workforce because they had seen. I mean, again, look at those numbers: eighty-eight hundred arrests. Which that's fun for well, us. I mean, and that, I'm wondering how arrests. you manage that with a limited. Like, did the workforce, did the border patrol grow? To, to counter that, I mean, as you have this massive increase in people trying to cross the border, did you have a similar massive increase in resources and people to handle it? No, quite the opposite, right? There was a lot of people that uh, that were retirement eligible that decided to go ahead and, you know, was it worth it for them? They, they'd done their time and, uh, you know, go out on their own terms. Um, you know, one thing you mentioned uh, that, I, that I wanted to make sure that everybody understood is when the world was shutting down because of COVID and, the, and all the pandemic uh, things put in place, Border Patrol didn't stop. People were, we were still out there doing our job, encountering people from all over the world. Um, we were kind of like, you know, and I don't want to make uh, light of, of, of this virus because we know so many people died from it. But we were just glad there was a name to something that we were exposed to, because honestly, we you know, when you catch people from all over the world that are not necessarily uh, not in, uh, have immunizations and whatnot, you know, we, we're dealing with that. We are we're their first person they may encounter. And so we were we put all our personal protective equipment on. And we went out there and did this. Um, but we 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 had been our numbers for years was 20, 21,370. That was what we were congressionally appropriated for. Uh, we got really close to that mark um, and it's only dwindled down. I think our numbers now are just under 
19,000. So we've actually so you are down. We are short staffed at the border yeah. is what you're yes. saying. Bottom line yes, is that. we are short staffed at the border and we have a massive influx of people. As yep. you said, some of them should probably come in, but you know what? You got to get in line like anywhere else, like at the grocery store, like at yep. the airport, like anywhere else. And what, you know, there's a lot of, listen, you're retired now, yeah. right? You don't have an affiliation with the government. What do you think is the motivation of this White House to allow this? You know, I, I've never been one to kind of put on a, a conspiracy uh, uh, theory head uh, when I think about things. And a lot of it starts to kind of make sense. Like, why are they doing this? Right. Um, my first inclination is because the, the, the former President Trump did it. And there's so much of that. Just we're just going to try to. We're erase history, you know, anything. In other words, they were so anti-Trump and yep. so everything about him and yep. so that they just had to undo everything that he did. It's the same you can yeah. say about the Keystone XL pipeline. That was everything. one of the first things. Right. So so that this is another example of let's just undo whatever the previous president did. You know, and, and that's I, I, I firmly believe that. uh there's still there are good people working in this administration that I, I know that are, are equally frustrated because they they mean well and they want to do right but uh, you know look change the change the name of the policy you know if that's what you want to do but don't yeah. but don't get rid of it because it's look it's putting people in harm's well, way and not, not just right. Americans but the the, the people this is a when we the say migrants. This, like, I, yeah. Look what happened we, in Juarez two days ago when the that's a migrant let, camp. These people didn't leave. They they got burned up. That's crazy. I want to I want to go into that story because I wanted to get your response to that. A couple days ago, thirty nine people at last count died in a fire mm -hmm. because someone was some people were ticked off that they were going to be deported, so they set this place on fire. What do you know about the circumstances and the aftermath of all that? Well, I, I don't I will tell you this. I don't know all the specific details. I don't have access to that anymore, uh, but I can tell you how we got to that point. So uh, we, we do know that the president finally made a trip down the border and, and it brought some attention to, to the issue to the extent that uh, the administration will give it attention. Um, and, and and so there's been some changes in what countries can come in and, and Title 42 is still there. So. You know, the numbers uh, at large across the border kind of went down a little bit. We had a little lull. It's still at an all-time high. It's kind of like them saying our gas prices are decreasing. Yeah. Well, they're still $2 <laughs> yes. higher than they've ever been, right? So Yeah, they condition with, you to the worst, ex yes. the extremes, so that a little bit less than extreme seems like it's an improvement. Yeah, yes, that, that's absolutely right. So the the migrants, they, they haven't come in at, at the same rate, but they didn't leave anywhere. They went to, they stayed in northern Mexico. So they stayed in places like Juarez. I mean, those that aren't familiar with Ciudad Juarez, it, it's, it's the border town with El Paso. Ciudad Juarez and El Paso is like the largest international city in the world. When you combine both sides of the border there, you're talking several million people right there in, in an area. And so they have a lot of resources. They have uh, all the uh, shelters and, and nonprofits working in Juarez. So they built these migrant shelters. And this is where these people were staying because a lot of them were making entries and they were being pushed back by the Border Patrol. Yeah. And Again, so now this is south. This is south. I just want to clarify for people. This yeah. is south of the border yes. in Mexico, very close to the border. This yes. happened. Go ahead. Yes, it's right there in Juarez, Mexico, within probably a stone's throw of the border. And um, Mexico was saying, you, you're not, you can't stay here anymore. And they were not letting them leave. Um, and so several of them started protesting. And through their protest, they lit some mattresses on fire. Well, that that created 
the the blaze that end up taking so many lives. And this is again goes back to a hemispheric, basically a world immigration problem that is is you know starts with people thinking they have the right to come here however they please. And and so th- this is again another tragedy that's a result of us not standing firm and sending a message around the world that you cannot come in here because you want to. You have you can only come over here through a process. And and uh, one other thing too is we, we no longer have that that same standing with Mexico. I will tell you this uh, that I went under President Trump when I would be meeting with Mexican officials, it was what do you need, chief? Now it was like, well, you know, chief, we're not really going to be able to do that. So we lost that footing. Like we are not in in, in the same, you know, I would say bargaining position. And why do you think that is? It's just this is a a change in president. So do you think that the relationship is different? They also have a different president in Mexico. Mm -hmm. Um, So do you think that it's a change in the dynamic of those two leaders? Or is it a change in the dynamic of the the, the policies that have been stripped? What, What do you think that's about? Well, I, I will say this, that uh, Abrador AMLO was there uh, with Trump was there and, you know, established some firm rules here. Look, if you, you don't stop this. We're going to shut down ports. We're gonna, I mean, he created a na- uh, Mexico created their own National Guard to help us with the humanitarian. So between between it was truly a whole of government. You hear that we hear a lot of people throw out this whole of government approach. That was like yeah. probably the best whole of government approach we ever had. Department of State, you know, Department of Homeland Security working with Mexico, Congress and both Congresses were working to, to establish things to secure the border. Look, a secure border is beneficial to both countries. It keeps people safe, which allows lawful trade and travel and, and a healthy world. It uh, unsecure border creates chaos at the border. Like you had a thousand people rushing those same ports of entry two weeks ago. You had people dying in a, in a shelter. It's incredible. And I, I back to the question is, I think it was a, a different about an intestinal fortitude from one leader uh, hold another one accountable to now they're just kind of like, all right, fine. I mean, think about it. You've got, you've got Congressman Crenshaw trying to say, Hey, we need to address the cartels and he's getting attacked by Mexican leadership. Look, this is, this is crazy. The cartels are controlling everything along this border. Um, it's not even in our national defense authorization act to, to address this huge threat. And you're seeing it play out. And what's happening in our border and the influence it has on, on the governments there in Mexico. It's and, and the thing is, is that the Mexican people are beautiful people. They're a wonderful culture. They have so much to give and they're just being hijacked by poor politics and and the cartel violence and what's and the cartels, them. which yeah. it's and I wish we would get a spine about this. Maybe yeah. say we're going to put a moratorium on travel to Mexico, really hit their tourism. I mean, I, I still have so many friends that are going to Mexico for spring break. And I think to myself, why would you do that? Why would yeah. you give your money to this country that is really so lax in in the way that they uh, support this border and and allow the cartels to run them into the ground? Uh, before we let you go, um, what what are the answers? You know, a couple things. Um, I, 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 I can't let this go because this is an opportunity here. When you go back a, a month ago when we had those uh, Americans killed by the cartel when they went down into uh, South Texas, uh, I think uh, they went to get a medical procedure. The cartels apologized for doing that. We haven't gotten an apology from the administration of what they've done to this country in regards to the chaos at the border. And that, that's a that's a sad state of affairs. Um you know, and, and that's that's one of the things that I think is uh, it, it frustrates a lot of people is is it's playing out right in front of us. 
Um, and, and, and it's hitting us in so many ways that, uh, that it's very frustrating. The, the answer, um, a, a couple things. Uh, we, we do need, um, some firm, uh, uh, policy decisions. And, and that's, and that's another interesting piece because now this administration is blaming Congress when they were in charge of the, uh, the House and Senate. They didn't do a thing. Uh, they just blame the president. Now they've, they've switched that narrative back to Congress. Congress loves to kick the can because it's emotional. They conflate immigration with border security, which they need to be. We need a separate border security bill that focuses strictly on securing the border and then let the socioeconomic uh, experts deal with immigration. Um, we need yeah, business. It, it, it seems to me, but sorry to interrupt you. I want to get yeah. back to that. You were. Yeah. Uh, let's remember you were about to say we need business. Mm-hmm. Hang on. Yeah. When you hear this term that they love to throw around in Washington, we need a comprehensive approach. That seems to me to be saying we're not going to do a damn thing until we're happy with every aspect of this. And it is full and instead of solving each individual problem in a way that, no, we can't do that until we get this and this and this. No, why? Why why not secure the border first? And then work on the rest afterward. Well, you you would do that everything else in your life, right? Whether it's paying yes. off debt or fixing a leaky roof, right? You don't you, you turn the water off, and then you you yes. patch the the patch the roof, and then you know to keep the water running, right? Um, yes. Comprehensive when it comes from when you hear it from the Beltway is uh, kicking the can is what that yes. is because we've been kicking that can for for decades. Um, and is that because it is emotional, like you described, like it, it's it, or is this also? I hate to be so cynical, but is this a great fundraising issue for both sides? I, I think you're. I think it's uh, it's probably a little bit of everything, right? Uh, yeah, if you can continue to campaign on and say, well, if they would just assign that bill, but I'm going to do it next time, and and we'll we'll get it done. So so yeah, it could be a fundraising issue. But look, I, I think it's important to separate our immigration process because we do need workers. We need smart people here. We need to continue this. We're a, a country founded on immigration. We get that, mm-hmm. right? Of course, you know, there's there's good immigration and there's the bad immigration that impacts our security and creates the vulnerabilities, brings in uh, the bad people and the bad things. I, I think that if we would just focus on not conflating the two and say, look, security is important. We every, I mean, think about this. You have a lock on your bathroom door in your bedroom that has a lock on the door to your front door that has a lock on the door. But we but we don't want to build a, a security around our country. That's crazy. Immigration, it, it, it touches emotions because people talk about family and they, get, they all have a story. But the security piece shouldn't shouldn't it should be something that we all get along. So, yeah, let's focus on a standalone in, uh, uh, effort to secure the border, whether that's we, we don't need 2,000 miles of wall from, from San Diego to Brownsville. We need it where it makes sense, especially in, in urban areas where people can get away within seconds to minutes. Mother Nature's done a great job in some areas where there are 500-foot cliffs in West Texas that no one's scaled for billions of years. They're not going to scale it today. Um, but where it makes sense. Let's get the right people doing the job where it makes sense. Let's focus on the the, 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 the second and third effects of illegal immigration in the forms of supporting ICE and, and the removal process. Let's figure out what is the right way to uh, uh, 
get those wide gates. That's where you get your business leaders. You get your community. The hospital director says, look, I'm only a, I have a budget to handle my community. But if you surge in 100,000 people that need help, I need more funding. So these hearings that the Republicans have been doing, I think that's great because it's bringing the voice to the people. It's it's not a stunt. Believe me. If the and, media and, and, covers it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 we, we really do need consequences for those that cross illegally and hold them accountable. We need to fund the uh, continue to fund the Border Patrol. Look, this this 2023 bill only had 300 agents. That doesn't keep up with attrition. We need 3,000, 5,000 more border trains to do our job. But we need we we they do need to, we meaning the the people need to hold our elected officials accountable to say hey solve this problem or you know it's it's only going to get worse. And uh, you know look this is uh, th- this is something that's been going on. But dealing with people's complex, Michelle, you know that. Um, so the the human side of this is very very difficult. Um, to, to just, you know, you can't just cookie cutter it, but the security side is really not that complex. And it's not I, complex yeah. at all. It's yeah. yeah. And, and that's where we, as a, a nation owe it to our citizens yep. who pay taxes that pay for the border patrol and all of the rest are able to stay safe. And, yep. uh, it just isn't happening. Um, and I want to just correct myself. The, the death count now in that fire at the Migrant Center in Mexico is down to 38. Thank goodness. Uh, yep. it was up to 40, but they've downgraded out to 38. Uh, so again, just chaotic scenes continue. And, you know, I, I've got so much to say on this, but we're short on time. So, I so appreciate you coming on, Chief Clem, and all the best to you in your retirement. I hope you keep making your voice heard. People need to hear from those of you that are down there dealing with this, have been down there for your entire careers, seeing this stuff up close. I had kind of had a goal to get some really disturbing pictures from you, but I, <laughs> I changed my mind because we all know it's it, it's it's horrific down there, but this fire ought to be enough for a, a yeah. lot of people to say, wait a minute, what, what is going on? Um, thank you so much, Chris Clem. Thank you. I appreciate you. this. There's, there's more to the story and, and, and I look forward to maybe following up with you on some of the yes, other. Yes. Would love to do that. Would love to do that because there is more to it and we'll get to it. Um, thank you so much for your time, folks. As always at the end of sideline sanity, I tell you, thank you for listening and be brave. You know, have some courage and do good. Thanks for listening. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.